to Hillcrest Church Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Good morning. Wow. Okay, my name is Christina. Um, as Tim said, Adam, my husband, and I recently returned from living and serving in the Arab world. We are there for the past couple years. So we got back in January, and because we'd been living there, we had like a ton of checked bags. We had probably nine that we were trying to navigate through SeaTac and, you know, try not to hit other people with them. And, we, you know, they're piling them on those trolleys that do nothing. And we kind of like roughly roll up to passport control. And the border guard's like, he's not really paying attention. He just like takes my passport without even looking at me. Does that thing where like they swipe it. And I, I do not know how this technology works, but I'm confident that a list of all the Middle Eastern countries I visited in the past few years started auto-populating on his screen. Because <laughs> he kind of slowly looks up for my passport and his screen, looks to me, looks at the pile of bags, and he goes, so what were you doing over there? <laughs> and us, not wanting to get detained after an already long day, told him exactly what we were doing. And he goes, were you successful? And, you know, since we've been back, we kind of get this question a lot. And the stakes are almost always much lower. But, like, we usually get asked things like, okay, how many new Christians are there? How many new churches? How many buildings did you build? And honestly, like, the answer is complicated. Um, so I have a map of the Arab world, and kind of a rough neighborhood, isn't it? But today, I really want to be real and honest and a little vulnerable with all of you about what it actually feels like and looks like to serve the Lord here. So people usually come home and they have like all these great stories, and it seems like if you go to one of these really hard places, that all of a sudden, like the book of Acts comes to life. You know, on, on Monday, there's this Bible study, and on Tuesday, you know, 50 people get baptized. Wednesday, the Holy Spirit falls upon the whole crowd, and, you know, Thursday, this leader who'd been persecuting the church comes to the Lord. And the thing is, like, the book of Acts took place over decades. And these stories that people come home with usually take place over years. So it's not as exciting or thrilling or glamorous as it sometimes can seem. Um, like the honest thing is like, it's a hard place to live. And I wanna be clear, like, yes, the Lord is moving. Yes, there are miracles. Yes, there are dreams and visions. But that's not what every day looks or feels like. Um, and Adam and I do have some of those stories to share that we're really excited about. And we have some photos, too. But we're going to share it after the service in the fireside room. If you're interested, we're going to do a short gathering. But today I'm going to talk about more of what it's really like to be there. So, like, I'm sure a lot of you, when you looked at this, you're like, wow, that place, that's rough. Um, because, like, you have war, you have poverty, you have, like, corruption, you have honor-based violence, you have just, like, never-ending desert. And so the needs are just so pronounced, like the spiritual, the emotional, the physical needs, like they run 
deep. And one of the things I love most about the gospel, one of the things I'm most compelled about or compelled by is that the gospel is holistic. Like Jesus doesn't ask us to separate our physical bodies from our souls or to snuff out desire or anything. Like Jesus cares about our bodies. He cares about our communities. He cares about these tangible things. We see this in Matthew 25 when Jesus is telling a parable. He says, Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? Like, I think we'd remember these things. And the king will answer him, Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. And so when I showed up in the air world, I was so excited to do these things. Like, I wanted to meet needs as I shared the gospel. But it very, very, very quickly became apparent that the needs were so much greater than my ability or my capacity. As a team, we tried to feed the hungry. But there are over 2 million Syrian refugees in our country alone. We can't feed them all. UNICEF can't even feed them all, and UNICEF has way more resources than we do. We bought school uniforms for kids so that they could go to school. Most of them won't stay in school. We helped fund a scholarship for a local partner. Can't pay everyone's tuition. We taught English so that people would have more job opportunities, and we ran a program for inner-city girls. But still, the need was so much bigger. There were medical bills I couldn't pay. There were societal problems that were entrenched far deeper than I could even understand. And, I mean, there's so many people there who just, they're in deep debt or they're in deep poverty. And then you look at the geopolitical situations, that complex mess. I can't fix that. I can't even influence it. Like, I can't do anything. And on a more personal note, when an Arab friend described to me about her abusive marriage, I couldn't help. Like, here in America, I know what to do. Like, at least in theory, right? I know the resources. I know who to call. I know how to make an escape plan. Like, I know, I have an idea of what to say. But when she was telling me about it, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do those things. Because here we're like, you got to get her out. You have to get her out. But if she left her husband, best case scenario is that she never sees her children again because she has no legal right to them. Second best is that her husband decides, done with all of you. You can take the kids. But then the problem is that without a second income or a man to protect them, the three of them will starve. They were barely scraping by as it was on two incomes. They weren't going to make it. There was nowhere they could turn. They were just starve. The worst case scenario was unfortunately the most likely for her. And that's that her husband would kill her. 
Um, he would have to fix the shame that was brought upon him. And if he didn't kill her, then one of her cousins or one of her brothers or her dad would hunt her down and kill her because of the shame a divorced woman brings on the family. And the only solution for shame is blood. And so if I did the things I learned to do in America, I would have caused more harm than good. And so one day, as I was reflecting on my inadequacy, as you do, um, the Lord reminded me of a verse from Acts, and that's the passage that we just had read, Acts 3, 1 through 7. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple, at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Okay, so of course in this story, there's a miraculous healing. I didn't experience that. But the thing that was in my head, like, multiple times a week, if not multiple times a day, if not sometimes, honestly, multiple times in the span of a few minutes, was, I have no silver or gold, but what I have, I give you. And for me, I'm not being overly spiritual when I say all I have is Jesus. Like, Jesus can change situations that I have no control over. He's bigger than anything any one of us are up against or anything a whole society is up against. And in our weakness, he is strong. And so when a friend described how his family walked from one country to another to escape war and how he worries for the family that's still there because this is a place where bombs fall daily on people's houses, and how he doesn't always know if they're safe. He talks about how he doesn't have citizenship to anywhere in the world. And so he faces all these daily indignities. Um, he's even legally allowed to be paid less because of that for the same work as anybody else. And I, I can't fix that. Like, I can't give him citizenship. I can't make the bombs stop falling. So I gave him what I had, and that's Jesus. And I said, uh, it is wrong that this happened to you. Like, you say you don't care, but I do. I'm angry for you, and I know that God is angry that this happened to you. I know this because he is with the oppressed. He is for you, he's with you, and he loves you. And in a culture that generally doesn't believe that God loves you, they don't necessarily believe that God cares about you, a lot of people believe that if something bad happens to you, it's kind of just God kind of in a weird mood and kind of being a jerk. They wouldn't say it that way, but that's kind of how they feel. It matters. It matters to hear that God loves him. Because the thing is, like, it felt, it felt so small. Like, I wanted to fix his problems so bad. But, like, hope isn't small. And truth isn't insignificant. 
And I had so many friends, like all I could do was just sit with them and listen to them. I would show them that I cared. I tried to offer encouragement when I could. Sometimes we'd pray together. And that was it. That was all I could do. And I had one friend in particular who I ended up seeing almost every day. And over the course of about four months, Adam and I shared the entire gospel with her. And when the difficulty had passed, she told us that we were the reason that she got through it, that we were her family and that she wouldn't have gotten through it at all without us. And the thing is, like, it, it wasn't us. Like, I'm not that awesome. But the thing is, like, it's, it's Jesus. It's the power of the gospel because the gospel has power and listening has power. Loving people the way Jesus loves them has power. But the sad thing is she still doesn't know the Lord. In the Arab world, it takes someone an average of seven years from when they first encounter the gospel to when they decide to dedicate their lives to Jesus. So it's the kind of place that if you want measurable success or like numbers to brag about or a really great newsletter, it's, it's not the place to go. <laughs> a lot of you are on our newsletter list, you know. The thing is like, well, we all know, like we know that Jesus brings this deep, transformative change, right? Like, we know that. We celebrate it. We sing about it. It's really easy for me to think, like, he's not moving because I don't see the fruit I want, when I want it, and how I want it. And sometimes, like, you can do all the right things. You can do all of the things God calls you to and still not see fruit. But thankfully, God doesn't ask us to produce results. He asks us for our obedience and our faithfulness to his call. And it's not our results that will determine whether or not he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And so Adam and I learned to find joy in the planting and the watering because we know without a shadow of a doubt that one day the harvest will come in the Arab world. And so for a lot of that, that looked like going to Arabic class and sharing with our tutors. And I remember when we were like in the beginner levels, it was real rough. We, it was just me, him, and our tutor, and I was trying so, so, so hard to share the Easter story. And I wanted her to engage and to ask questions. And then I finished, and she just corrected my grammar. <laughs> and I was like, ugh! I was like really discouraged. I was like, come on, this is the cornerstone story of our faith. I know I said that wrong, but the point is there. And nothing. It was really discouraging. Fast forward two years. Now we're in the advanced classes. Still hard, but we're there. And we have a new tutor, and she comes in, and she goes, okay, my beginner level student said something really weird yesterday. And he cannot explain what he meant. He does not have the ability to explain what he meant. Can I ask you a question? I go, yeah, sure. She goes, what's the Holy Spirit? <laughs> and I realized in that moment that just because that first teacher didn't ask me, it didn't mean that she didn't ask anybody. And just because I am not seeing the results of my actions, it doesn't mean that the Lord's not moving. 
In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And God, so, so often, I don't know why, this is like one of his favorite things to do. He loves to call all of us to work together. And then he creates this thing that's like way bigger, way better, way more beautiful than like I could do on my own, that anyone could do on their own. It's better than I could even picture. And he's like, it's like he likes to take all of our efforts together. And there are so many people from around the world who are serving in the Arab world right now. God has called people from Mexico, Ecuador, Korea, England, Kenya, Argentina, Australia, Belarus, Romania, the Netherlands, the Czech Republic, the Philippines, South Africa, Egypt, Tunisia, Jordan, Iraq, Syria, Morocco, Libya, and Saudi Arabia to serve in the Arab world. It is not just one person, one community, or one country that sent the lost. And so as we were processing this all last year, a friend told us that success is not measured in fruit. Success is simply obedience to the Lord. If you are obedient to what he's called you to, you're successful. And if you see fruit, that's amazing. And please tell me about it. I love those stories. And like, I know like the Hillcrest community, like I know that there are people in here who are facing hard things. A lot of you work in, and volunteer in these crazy hard causes. Like you want to rescue women from human trafficking and prostitution. You want to get the homeless homes. You, want, you feed the like, children. You, take, you do royal family kids camp. Like, you care about people. But maybe things aren't as moving the way you want to. Maybe the results aren't happening. Maybe it feels like, man, we're up against it all. Or maybe it's in your life or the life of a loved one. Maybe you want so badly for things to change, and they just haven't yet. Maybe you've done all the right things, you've talked to all the right people, you've read all the right books, you've said all the right prayers, as though there's such a thing. There's not, but it can feel that way. And like, still, the results aren't there. I just want to encourage you to stay faithful. When you hear the voice of the Lord and you obey that is your success. In John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has already overcome the world. Like the future hope we have takes a long view of history. And we have a promise that one day, all things will will be made new, and they'll be made right. And so, while we live in the tension of the now and the not yet kingdom of God, I want to encourage you to remember two things. One, God sees you and he loves you. And two, success is simply obedience. Thank you. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Church. For more info on-
on this and other sermons, visit us online at hcbellingham.com or join us at 9 or 11 a.m. any Sunday morning, 1400 Larrabee Ave, Bellingham, Washington.